correctly taught, you know, as I watched different people. And I think I was very blessed to have uh, parents who, you know, took their faith very seriously and were humble about that and, uh, and were great models, but none of us are only influenced by our parents. And so I got this whole wide range of, uh, you know, all imperfect people sort of giving me uh, an example of what it meant to follow Jesus. And I remember in, I think it was in high school, that someone showed me these little uh, diagrams one time, and it was one of those like little, you know, cocktail napkin images like you would do in some sort of gospel presentation or something like that. But it, it really stuck with me and it stuck with me all these years. And, and the idea was, you know, just drawing a heart and then like a little chair in it, and you know, that's like the throne of your heart, and, and this kind of reflecting, these three different versions of that reflecting on, uh, you know, who is on the throne of my heart? What's really going on inside of me as a way to kind of assess my own life? And so I first figured out that I was not technically proficient enough to draw this for you. Like, Rhett would like have written it out. Somehow it would end up on the screen. I have no idea. I thought for a minute about using paint to try to make it, but I was like, I don't have that skill even. It would be even more embarrassing. I was like, I'll Google image search. I know how to Google image search stuff. And I found only one version of this, and it is amazing. So let's get the first version of this up here. And look how mad she looks. <laughs> like, she, she has the heart. That is her heart. She is incredibly upset. And in this first model, this is just kind of like life apart from God. I, myself, am on the throne in my heart. God is nowhere to be present. And you see how it makes you feel. And then the second one, if we can go to that, it adds all these animals. Which I'm, I'm very unclear. She's still angry. Christ is now in the heart, but not on the throne, but also in the heart is a zoo. I don't, this was not, the zoo was not in the original version that I was taught, but I was like, I was like, I have to read about this on the website now. So I like followed the link, found it. Each of these animals somehow represents a different sin. All I, re all I remember is that the turtle the turtle is complaining. <laughs> like, so, and now we know, like, I mean, we all know that. Like, sometimes, like, Peter complains, I'm like, he's such a turtle, you know? So, so anyway, like, when Christ, when Christ is there, but, you know, but we haven't given up the throne, Noah's Ark is also present, and um, a Noah's Ark of sin, if you will. The frog was also bad talk, I do remember that. It was an interesting list of sins. Okay, I have no idea. I do not verify this website at all. I just was looking for the pictures. And then the last one, look how happy she is. Yeah, now the animals have been pushed out, and in their place we get the fruit of the Spirit, I think. But, you know, again, the, and so here we have, you know, Christ on the throne and the self being crucified. Um, and, and this was just, and then you can put up all three of them there. I just put them side by side. So... This was, this was, you know, without the face, because that I'm not capable of drawing, and without the animals or the fruit of the Spirit, any of that. This was kind of the basic idea of something that, uh, that I saw when I was younger, and it was really helpful to me, because I think I had, uh, it was this middle category 
um, that I came to call uh, not being under the lordship of Christ, but sort of being under the influence of Christ. And, and that I, I think that was a lot of what I was learning as I looked around and saw so many key people in my life. I was like, yeah, lordship isn't really a thing, but Christ is definitely influencing their life. The problem was when I started reading the scripture, I didn't find that as an, offer, an option that Jesus offered. And so I started having to ask myself tough questions about what this following Jesus thing looked like. If Jesus is really on the throne in my heart, and you know I'm sitting at his feet as opposed to I'm on the throne and he gets to come in as one of many advisors that I might have, that I make the final call, then you know, if he's really on the throne, it means that I have to be willing to ask myself or, or not ask myself, to ask God, to ask Christ what he wants me to do in any given situation, and then do it. Now, that's not to say that he gives me an answer to all of those. I, I think God gives us incredible freedom in so many areas. But I think the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to ask God what he wants you to do, and then do it? And is that something that you ever do when you're making decisions? You know, I know even, uh, you know, the, a few weeks ago, one of, the, one of the guys was asking me, he was telling me, like, yeah, like, I was, I was talking to some of the guys in my core about, um, you know, winter retreat and whether they would go, and they're like, yeah, I don't want to. And I, he's like, what would you say to that? And I was like, I would say, well, I mean, would you be willing to pray and ask God what he wants you to do and then do that? Because ultimately, that's the deal. Like, it's not, there's no, I, I don't have a verse about winter retreat or anything like that, um, or about really even church attendance or core. Uh, we, have, we have things we've got to get done, but at the heart of the matter is our heart. And where is my heart? Because if I'm not willing to ask God what he wants me to do and then do that, then today would be a great day to actually become a Christian. And that's where this 1 Thessalonians passage goes in, and I want to go back to it, just a couple of things that, that he says, because at the end he's talking about how their, the reputation that their faith had taken on. This was a church that Paul had started, and then he'd been forced to, to leave because of persecution. You can read that story in the book of Acts if you want, how he had to sort of get out of town really quickly. Um, and then he's sort of distant from them, and he's wondering, like, are they doing okay? Are they, are they okay? And, and basically what he's writing them is he's like, yeah, it was great to get this report from these people that came back. He's like, but actually I didn't really need that because I'm hearing about it everywhere I go. Everyone's talking about you. You know, in all the places I go, they've heard about your faith. They've heard about the kinds of things that they did. And he says, this is what they tell, the kind of report that he's hearing. He says, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They're telling a story about how something has been dethroned in your life and something, someone else has been enthroned in your life. And people see the difference. 
They see something very different. It's a picture of conversion. And these are not perfect people. In this very same letter, Paul goes on to, you know, remind them about sexual immorality and how they're living. And they've misunderstood, you know, what this coming of Jesus is. They're like, oh, Jesus is coming. Let's not work anymore. Let's just sit around and live off other people. You know, he's like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not what it looks like. But, but at the heart, he knows their heart is in the right place. 1 Peter 3.15 is the scripture that I actually want to, uh, us to kind of memorize together tonight. If you want to turn there. Yeah, or I put it up. Forgot about that. He just says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In your heart, make Christ Lord. And Lord is a rulership authority kind of a word. You know, we sometimes talk about accepting Christ as our personal Savior. The Scripture doesn't really use that language. The Scripture talks about declaring Jesus as Lord. Do I accept that Caesar isn't Lord, I'm not Lord, these other gods aren't Lord, Jesus is Lord? That was the good confession. That was at the heart of conversion, and that's our message tonight. Have you in your heart set apart Christ as Lord? See, I think many of us are actually polytheists, at least functionally polytheists. You know, we're, we're just like, uh, you know, some of my, my dearest friends in the world are Hindu, and they are very willing to accept Jesus as one more God or one more manifestation of God. You know, that adding Jesus in is never the issue. The issue is the exclusivity. It's not, it's, it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. And for many of us, we're still Jesus and. It's Jesus and family. It's Jesus and money and success. It's Jesus and whatever makes me feel good. It's Jesus and romance and sex. Whatever those things are. But, but to these things, Jesus has responses. If I say Jesus and family, he says, anyone who comes to me and loves father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Anyone who wants to follow me and doesn't hate his father and mother can't be my disciple. He says, when, they, when his actual physical family comes to talk to him in the middle of his ministry, he says, who are my mother and brothers? Those who do the will of my father. Those are harsh words. They're harsh words to some of our uh, people from more Eastern cultures, where we actually still think about how to honor our parents and revere our parents and things like that, maybe more than, than we have been in America. But we have to find the balance of what does it mean to honor my parents without serving them? What does it mean to honor my parents without letting them sit on that throne? Not even a little corner of it. That throne belongs to one. To those who say Jesus and success and career and money, Jesus just says you can't serve both God and money. Hard words. To the one who Jesus and feeling good you know, he says, if anyone comes and doesn't hate even his own life, he can't be my disciple. 
You have to deny yourself daily and follow. Jesus and romance and sex, what Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, he just says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were purchased. And so you glorify God with your body. You honor him with your body, not yourself, not your desires, not what you want or what feels good. You honor him. Harsh words. See, the call of Christ is a call to life, life to the full. But it's a call of life after death. To get to the kind of life that he's calling us to, you have to go through death. You have to die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross. That's what Jesus said there in uh, what was that? Uh, Luke 9, where he talks about how you know, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be rejected, beaten up, killed, and then on the backside of that, raised to life. I'm going to experience resurrection. And if you want to come with me, you don't get to skip to that last step. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross every day and walk with me. And you're going to go down the same road. It may not look the exact same. None of those, those exact people that Jesus spoke those original words to did their path look the exact same as his. But every one of them had to walk the same road. They had to put the same faith in God. That's why Paul could say the, the other scripture we read earlier in Galatians 2 And the irony here, <clears throat> if you go look at this, Paul's actually telling a story in Galatians of a time when the apostle Peter, who heard these original, this original call from Christ, Peter had kind of forgotten what was going on. And Paul tells this story in Galatians 2 where Peter had gotten confused about what the gospel was. And a part of that meant that he started sort of separating from the Gentiles and only eating with the Jews and all of this. And, you know, Paul says, I, I stood up and I confronted him in front of everyone. And I said, and this is a part of what he told him. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's a part of this bigger thing, but it's a reminder to Peter, and he's using it as a reminder to these other Christians of what this thing is really about. You died. You died. If you want to be with Christ, you have to die. And a new life has to happen. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. If you're a disciple of Jesus who cannot be counted on to show up and love and serve others, you're still a baby at best. Because that's what a baby is. And my message to you is there's a bigger and better world out there than being a baby. I mean, we may fantasize at times about grow, you know, go, going back to those times when everyone took care of us, and it sounds really appealing, but if someone was like, okay, like, 
we'll make you a paraplegic. You won't be able to walk around or go anywhere and everyone will take care of you. How many would you take that offer? It's like, no, we don't want to go back to that. We don't want, but, but sometimes as Christians, we live in this baby mode of, yeah, I'll do something when I feel like it, but everyone else needs to be the grown-ups around me. My message is that growing up is worth it. Growing up in Christ is worth it, just like it was worth it physically. We need to be the kind of people, it doesn't mean that attendance is always the thing, but I should always be thinking in terms of loving and serving others and not just what feels good at the moment. That's so childish. If we lived our life thinking of what feels good at the moment, none of us would ever study or brush our teeth or eat anything healthy. And we know that we're having to grow up out of that. So let's not live spiritually like that. You know, if you decide what you do based on your, only on your wants and fears and anxieties, you're still a baby, right? We just let our desires govern us. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He just says, he says, I, I remind you of this. And he says, I, I remind you, I have tears in my eyes as I remind you of this. He says, many, many people live as enemies of the cross. And what does he say about them? He says, they're God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. Their appetites rule them. Whatever they're hungry for at the moment rules them. And if your stomach, metaphorically, however you want to do it, is on the throne, Jesus isn't. Their God is their stomach. You know, if, if you are still in that mentality of like, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to serve God? You know, do I have to do that? Do I have to go to winter retreat? Do I have to show up at core? Do I have to? You know, if I had a nickel for every mature person I've heard ask, do I have to? I'd be a very poor person. And yet that is so often our mentality. We're just trying to figure out the minimum. We're trying to figure out how, how much can I do of exactly what I want to do and what do I have to do over here? But that shit, you're still a baby if that's your mentality. And, that's, and the message is, is not like you're terrible. It's grow up. It's time to grow up. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. He'll get all of this stuff right. See, I don't want anyone coming to this community for sort of merit badge Jesus. You know what I mean by that? It's like, yeah, I've got my, got my cool little sash it's got family, it's got my career, it's got, you know, what my, my hobbies, whatever it is. And then also, cool thing, Jesus. <laughs> He's just like an extra little merit badge for me. Because someday, and we had, a, we had a tough reminder of this last week for those of you who are here. You know, uh, two of our guys, their, their younger 18, 19-year-old brother passed away in a car accident. And it's tragic, but it's a reminder to all of us that someday you will be six feet under. And all the merit badges and awards and grades and degrees and financial assets and friends and family won't help a bit. It just doesn't do anything. None of them can get you through that. 
Being a good person can't get you through that. Good people die all the time. In fact, the death rate for good people is about 100%. But Jesus says he can get you through that. Because he was the best of us, and he went through it, and he came out on the other side, and he said, follow me, and I'll take you there. Praise team, you guys can come back up. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. That's the question you have to ask tonight, especially if you're someone who calls yourself a Christian. Is he on the throne or not? He doesn't share the throne. And that middle option is not an option. It's not one he's interested in. Who is on the throne of your heart? Romans 12, 1 and 2, the last scripture I want to go to. <clears throat> Paul uses a different image. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I remember reading C.S. Lewis uh, he, he does this thing, he says, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> it, it's time for some of us to crawl back off the throne. You crawled back up. You put Jesus there, and then you keep trying to edge him out. You keep trying to share the seat. But when you get back up there, he gets off because it's voluntary. He's not going to fight you for control. <laughs> He gave you control a long time ago. You have to give it back. Let's pray. God, I want to pray that, that we would take the call to discipleship seriously. That we would trust you enough to trust your goodness enough to know that when we put you in charge, it's going to be better than when we're in charge. And that, as Jesus said when we, when we ask you for an egg, you don't give us a scorpion because you're a good father. So I pray that we would have that kind of faith to put you on the throne, to ask you what's best for us, and then to live in submission, knowing that you're going to bless us and the people around us through that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.